This morning we're starting um, a new series, and uh, we're going to, it's called Reflections of Splendor. So kicking off this morning, um, then in next week we've got uh, Alpha launch, then the week after we've got Guy uh, Miller with us, um, who leads the Commission Family of Churches, and then the week after that we'll be picking this back up again. And uh, we'll uh, just talk a little bit about that in a moment. But we're going to read one verse this morning. It's a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Um, it's a verse that you may know well, but the, the background to it is Paul is talking to the Corinthian believers and he's reminding them of, of what used to happen in the Old Testament with Moses. And Moses used to go into God's presence. God used to speak to him face to face. And then when he would come out of the presence of God, his face, he would be radiating the presence of God. He would be shining, his face would be shining. And, um, and then what would so, so happen, it would fade away. And so as he used to go into God's presence, he used to put a veil when he came out over his face so that people wouldn't see um, the glory of God fading. And uh, Paul uh, says, actually, it's not like that anymore. That's the old uh, covenant. That's the Old Testament. It's not like that now. When we go into God's presence, we radiate, and we should radiate something of the glory of God. And then he actually says this. And we, who with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory. Let me read that again. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Over the next few months, we're going to be focusing on the wonder of God in our new series, Reflections of Splendor. We're going to be contemplating the majesty and the mystery of what Christians call the Godhead. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we do that, we're going to find that rather than being otherworldly and irrelevant, it actually helps us to live as God's people outworking our faith in the world today. Michael Reeves, in his book, The Good God, says this, It is only when you grasp what it means for God to be a trinity that you really sense the beauty, the overflowing kindness, the heart-grabbing loveliness of God. The triune nature of this God affects everything from how we listen to music to how we pray. It makes for happier marriages, warmer dealings with others, better church life. It gives Christians assurance, shapes holiness, and transforms the way we look at the world around us. Focusing on who God is changes us. And this morning we're going to unpack the verse that we just read together. When Paul uses the word reflect, he's uh, conjuring up the image of a mirror. And in olden days, they used to, they didn't have glass, but they, uh, glass mirrors, they used to have bronze. They used to shine pieces of bronze and use them as mirrors. The word could also be translated as contemplate. And uh, they're not too, too 
trying to create two different ideas. The, the point is this, as we contemplate, as we focus on God, as we uh, uh, give him our attention, we reflect something of God's glory to the world around us. When I was uh, growing up, my dad used to, we used to go on holiday, we used to, we used to drive to Switzerland. And um, to save money, uh, uh, my dad uh, thought it was a good idea that we would, actually we wouldn't book anywhere to stay. And uh, we would just drive there and we'd find some. It would be really easy. Well, I remember there would be, there'd be long journeys in the car driving through France. And uh, we uh, used to go to uh, a place near Interlaken. Uh, and in Interlaken there are two lakes, Lake Tune and Lake Brienz. And I remember we, the first time we did this, we arrived and we actually uh, got caught in traffic around Paris. And because of that, uh, my dad drove all, all day. When we got there, it was really late. We arrived when it was too late. There was, everywhere was shut. Uh, it was just starting to get dark. And we ended up sleeping in the car by uh, Lake Tune. I just remember sleeping in the, the car. It was really uncomfortable as a, as a boy. In fact, you didn't really sleep at all. It was just, it was pretty miserable. But I remember the next morning, as we woke up, and uh, early in the morning, we woke up and we got out of the car stretching, and it was really sort of, oh, it's really... Why did we come all this way? What's this all about? Remember standing by the lakeside. And uh, if you know that area, there's all these amazing mountains, the Bernese Oberland around. And as the sun starts to rise, and the sun starts to rise over the mountains, in the lake you would see these mountains arrayed in all their splendor. You'd see the mountains themselves, but in the lake you'd see this amazing reflection <coughs> Of these glorious mountains. That's something of what, like what we're talking about. See, the definition of splendor, uh, it means magnificent, splendid in appearance. But that really doesn't convey the wonder and the emotion that it instills. I remember years ago, my mum going to, uh, my dad taking my mum to uh, America and they went to see the Grand Canyon and they went on a helicopter flight. And they went down and they flew over and down the Grand Canyon. And uh, I remember uh, my mum talking about it. She said, I just wept. She said, I, I was just so moved by the majesty and the splendor and the beauty. She just said, I just wept as, as I was in this helicopter and I saw the glory and the, the wonder of God's creation. You see, contemplating the wonder of God should provoke that sort of reaction in us. When Paul writes to the Roman church in the first 11 chapters of his letter, he sets out God's good news, God's salvation, the wonders of salvation. He talks about the rottenness of our human hearts. He talks about the rightful judgment of God on our rebellious independence, our wanting to live independently of God. Paul sets it out. He talks about the futility of us trying to uh, keep the law to somehow appease God, keep, reach God's standard, somehow make us right with God. Paul talks about the power of the cross when Jesus dealt with our sin problem and how he rose from the dead and 
He talks about how this restores us to a relationship with God who is our Father. Paul goes on to talk about the wonder of God's Holy Spirit dwelling within us, enabling us to live for God. And suddenly, overwhelmed with all that he's talking about, Paul bursts out with a a cry of worship. He, He says this in Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It is an amazing moment, a great doxology of worship. It just bursts out of Paul as he has been focusing on the wonder of God. He just can't stop himself praising God. Most Sundays, our our O is slightly different. Oh. Sam Storms in his book, Pleasures Evermore, asks this. Where is the O in our response to God? Where is the intensity of awe and amazement that a true knowledge of the Holy One of Israel ought to evoke? Much of the church has lost the O in her relationship with and response to God. Over these next weeks... God wants us to experience his splendor again. As I set the scene this morning, I want to draw out three things. The first thing I want to draw out is this. The Father's intention. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. When I was growing up, I, I didn't want to be like my dad. I really didn't want to be. I remember saying, I remember a moment where I said, I, I, saying to someone, I really don't want to be like my dad. Really don't want to do it. And as I've grown older, as I reach in my 50s, I start to see things. I start to see a reflection of him in me. I start to acknowledge it and recognize it. I start to see things in my character, in the way I behave, in the way I act, that are a reflection of my father. Start to see it. Didn't want to many years ago, but now I start to see it and I start to appreciate something of who he was. You see, God's intention in eternity past was to create mankind in his image. God created us in his image. Really? Us? The image of God? It's a bit disappointing, isn't it, when you look around? (laughs) Actually, God is spirit. And the Bible helps us by talking about God in ways that we can relate to. It talks about the face and hands of God, although God doesn't have 
a face and hands as we know it. The Bible assumes that we can know God in a similar way to knowing people around us. So we can hear his voice. The Bible expects us to be able to hear the voice of God. God gave humanity abilities reflecting his own. God gave us imagination to see how things can be different and the power to change things. That's a God-given ability. All of life was intended to have purpose and be a pleasure. God had an intended purpose for us. Life was to be a joy. So God expects and and looks for us to enjoy life to the full. We should know what it is to experience the joy of a job well done. A a, A picture beautifully painted, knowledge gained, a car repaired, a school lesson well taught, helping someone in need, a relationship blossoming. God created us with intent and with purpose. And God's desire was that each of us should reflect something of the multifaceted nature of God as we fulfill his plan for our lives. And yet there's there was an insurmountable problem. We turned our back on God. We'd lived without reference to Him. How could we draw near to a holy God? I, I mean, I may be able to wash my hands, but I certainly can't clean my heart. It was a problem. There was no way out. And yet, here's the wonder of God. Despite us rejecting Him, He never rejected us. God took the initiative. He sent his son Jesus to reconcile us to himself. Jesus' death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection has made it possible for us to come near and draw near to God. And God's intention is that as we draw near, that we reflect all he is and all that he's done for us. And some of you may know exactly what that means for you right now. Some of you, for some of you, it means, you know it means being the best mother that you can be. The best mother that you can be to your children. For some of you, you know it's that God has given you the job that you have. And you know that you're called to be the best that you can be in doing that job for his glory and his honor. And yet others, maybe here this morning, just wondering, is... Is there any plan for my life at all? There's only one answer. And and that's to draw near to him. You see, lakes are only, the lakes that I talked about, were only able to reflect the splendor of the mountains because of their proximity. If we want to reflect his glory and hear his voice and catch his purpose, we have to be there. We have to be in his presence. We have to be a people who crave to be in his presence. It says in the Psalms, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Do you yearn to be where he is? Do you find time every day to spend time in his presence? 
Do you find time to draw away and spend time with him, read the word of God, seek his face? If you're going to reflect his splendor in your workplace and in the the community around you, it's because you've been in his presence. When we gather together in corporate worship, are you there? I mean, I think it's, we laugh about it. We talk about the miracle of the second song where suddenly you open your eyes and suddenly people have arrived. I want you to imagine you're invited to a meeting. I mean, meetings, you know, meetings, meetings, you know, they always drag on, don't they? And so you deliberately, you know it's going you know, it's, it's to be, be a lot. So you deliberately, you're 15 minutes late. Find a reason to be a bit late. And afterwards, at the end of the meeting, you suddenly realize that there was some key information that you missed at the beginning. Key information that you missed. And, and although you catch up and you pick up uh, what was said from people who were there, you struggle, somehow you struggle to match the enthusiasm of those who were there and heard it firsthand. There was something about being there. There was something about the moment that you missed. Our decision not to be there can be costly. God wants us to be a people of his presence who love his presence. We have the privilege of corporately coming together as God's people. I want to encourage you, be there. It's such an easy thing to do, isn't it? Oh, it doesn't really matter. I don't want you to go away feeling guilty this morning or condemnation. It's something inside that says, I yearn to be in God's presence. I yearn to be with God's people. I long to be in his presence. I don't want to miss anything. I remember my mum years ago saying, she said, Steve, there was a scene. She said, I never wanted to miss the midweek prayer meeting. I never wanted to miss it because she said, God showed up and I wasn't there. I didn't want to miss it. I wanted to be in his presence. God wants us to be a people who are there. See, I could talk about West Point, okay? And some of you, inwardly as I talk about it, you will be rolling your eyes. You'll be thinking, oh, West Point. (laughs) I want to tell you, see, I can tell you it was a great time. I can tell you there was a moment at West Point this year I thought was a game-changing moment. West Point, for those of you who don't know, when we gather as uh, 40 or 50 churches, a family of churches down in Exeter, and we camp together, we, uh, there are meetings, we spend time as a church family together. Uh, it was a great time. There were about, uh, about 130 or so of us went from the church. It was brilliant, really good. The weather was good, which obviously helps when you're camping. And, um, but there was a moment there. It was a game-changing moment. And in previous years, uh, uh, people we, we give to the work of commission, reaching other churches, uh, serving uh, other churches, uh, church planting, other parts of the world, India. So we, we take up an offering. And in previous years, the offering has been around £250,000. This year, there was a moment, I tell you, it was an astounding moment. 
People were giving because their hearts were caught up in something. £600,000 in a moment. When they, when they first announced it, it was, five, it, was just, it was just under 500. People after the meeting so wanted to be part of it, they were queuing at the cash point to take out money to give. Now, it wasn't because there was a guilt trip. They wanted to be part of something. They'd caught something. But you had to be there. You don't have to go to West Point. That's not the point that I'm making. It isn't about having to be there. This isn't a guilt trip. This is about so loving the presence of God that you want to be where he is going to be. You want to catch something of his presence. You have to be there. The other thing is we have to be still. Psalm 46 verse 10 says this. Be still and know that I am God. You see, a a reflection should be so clear that it's difficult to know where reality ends and the image starts. And yet, when it rains or it's it's windy, it's obvious. Because the surface of the water of that lake gets so disturbed, you, you just lose the reflection. When our lives are caught up and we're uh, so busy, we're too busy for God, or when we're caught up and, and life seems to be going wrong and our hearts are troubled and we're anxious and lost, something's happened within. We're unsettled and suddenly that reflection's lost. God says, be still and know that I am God. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe your heart's in turmoil. Be still and know that I am God. Draw near to him. Fix your gaze on him. We need to be those whose hearts are still before God. When times are tough, we need to run to his presence. We need to speak to our own souls. This is what the psalmist says. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. You're feeling low? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Speak to yourself. Stir yourself to look to Him. Be still before Him. Find time for Him. I tell you, you can be going through the toughest of times and you can know the presence of God. Many of you will know that Samuel is really unwell. Sam Sam Fisher is unwell at the moment. Jonathan went to, has been to see him this week and he, he just telling me, he said, you know, he's, it's really serious. Without a miracle, he's in a hospice at the moment. He needs a miracle. But I tell you, he is so at peace before God. He knows God. He has found God to be his all in all. And so whether he lives or whether he dies, he wins. He knows it's true. It's true. Do you believe it? It's true. Be still and know that he's God. God has a plan for each of us. The father's intention. Secondly, the son's example. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15.
he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. See, it can feel a bit abstract trying to imitate God. Tozer said, for many people, God is... For many people, God is a deduction from evidence which they consider adequate, but he remains personally unknown. Do you know God personally? Is your relationship with him personal? Are you going to church religiously, but just trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a principle? You see, God has provided the answer. He has revealed himself through his Son. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus said himself that if we look at him, we will see the Father. Throughout the pages of the Gospels, as we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, as we read about Jesus, we are gazing on God. Jesus was the Son of God. To imitate God, we need to act and live as Jesus did. I remember hearing a, a story, it's a true story about a guy who was leading a, 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 a church and uh, it wasn't going very well and uh, one of the things was he was an Elvis impersonator and he was a really good Elvis impersonator and he used to travel around doing Elvis impersonations. The sad thing was that he ended up stopped leading the church because he was a better Elvis impersonator than he was leader of a church. He was better at impersonating Elvis. I, I sort of, I just sort of wonder, I, have, I had moments where I, I sort of think about it and I think, I wonder what the services were like. <laughs> Don't you? Are you looking for trouble? No, 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 no. You come to the right place. I won't do any more honest, because it will end badly. But I don't you think, isn't that sad? Better at impersonating Elvis. See, the Bible reveals how Jesus lived. He always, Jesus always did God's will, not his own. He always did, we're told, the work that the Father gave him to do. He made time to be alone with God and pray. Read on many occasions Jesus drawing away to pray. God's word was the foundation and his guide for life. When the devil tempted him, he responded, God's word just came out. Jesus loved people unconditionally. He gave everything he had. Jesus gave it all for us, left nothing behind. He didn't retaliate, he never threatened, he was humble, he was obedient, and he served others. What a magnificent example. Can we follow it? The short answer is yes. The New Testament is full of people who've done it. You read about Stephen, who's being stoned to death and forgiving those who are killing him. In the moment, he forgives those who are killing him because he's imitating Christ. He sees something in Jesus that has caught or captured his eye. He reflects the splendor of God in the moment. You read about Barnabas selling his possessions, selling fields to lay the money down to help those who are poor. 
You read of Titus left in Crete. So Paul leaves Titus in Crete and he he leaves him there to establish the church. So Paul moves on and this is what he says to Titus. He says, Cretans are all, this is what they say of themselves, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. And he leaves him, he's off. He says, you stay here, I want you to establish the church here, but by the way, they're lazy, brutes, gluttons, and I'll leave that to you. I'm off. I'm off to Rhodes. Bit of sun. Leave you in Crete. And yet, Titus stays. He does it because he's committed to Christ. He reflects Christ to those around and sees church, a church established in Crete. Church history is full of people who've lived like Jesus. The records of heaven are going to show multitudes unknown to us who've been Jesus to their town, street, family, and workplace. In life, someone said this, in life we don't get to play God, we get to imitate Jesus. I want to encourage you, be Jesus to the world around you. You need to spend time in his presence. You need to know what he's like. You need to catch his heart. Jesus loved prayer. I want to encourage you to pray. This prayer week that's coming up, I want to encourage you to pray. It's not about meetings. It's about us engaging, believing that God answers prayer. Jesus prayed regularly, found time to pray because he knew his father answered prayer. When we Seek God and pray. We are reflecting something of the heart of God. A God who loves this world and wants to intervene and break through and change people's lives. When Barry's talking about serving and getting involved and uh, putting our shoulders together to serve God, we're reflecting something of the heart of God. That's what Jesus did. That's what God calls us to do. And if we're going to do that, we need to keep Jesus ever before our eyes. We need to be focused. As I've got older, I've got, uh, my glasses are very focal, which basically means the top part I can uh, see distance. The bottom part I need to read uh, clo- things close up. And so sometimes I'm sort of like, my eyes are doing that. I'm trying to work out, trying to, I'm trying to get, trying to get focus. It's, sadly, it's got to the point now where some things I actually can't read without taking my glasses off and doing that. Focus is everything. Getting the focus right is everything. We need to be focused. This is what the writer of the Hebrews says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Are you going through a tough time at the moment? Is work difficult for you? Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Are you weary? Are you losing heart? See, we can have a clearer view of God as we gaze on Jesus. 
God's intention is for his glory to shine through Christ in us. Jesus is our example. Finally, the Spirit's power. This is what Paul is talking about in this verse in Corinthians. He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming and empowering us. You see, it can feel a little like Mission Impossible. You know that Mission remember Mission Impossible with the old the, the tape message, your mission should you decide to accept it? And then the tape bursts into flame. Some of you will remember that. It can feel like that sometimes, can it? I've, I've got to follow Jesus' example. That's Mission Impossible. How do I live up to Jesus' example? Love those who treat me badly. To be honest, sometimes I struggle loving people who are trying to do a good thing. Honestly. I was driving this week in, in the car, driving in the car, we're well, obviously driving in the car, driving in the car, and there's a car in front of me, and we're on a roundabout. And this car goes round the roundabout, and, and, and there's, there's someone on the exit of the roundabout, there's, there's a, a, a mum and a child, and they're crossing the road. They're in the wrong place. This car stops on the roundabout. Stops on the roundabout. So, the, I mean... I'm driving, you're not expecting it, and the car stops in front of me in the middle of the roundabout so this mum and child can go, go across. They, the person was doing a good thing. It was, they were doing a good thing. I was, my response was a little disappointing. I didn't beat my horn and I didn't shake my fist, but inside I'm going... What on earth are you doing? You're stopping on a roundabout. They're crossing the road in the wrong way. Sometimes I struggle when people do good things to, to be positive. So how can we be like Jesus, love those who treat us badly? Surely, is it about gritting our teeth and trying harder? No, it's not. The truth is we need help. We need to be changed. We need transformation. Something needs to happen inside. And fortunately, what Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit brings that change. See, Jesus promised his followers a helper. This helper wouldn't just get alongside them and whisper something in their ear. You know, sometimes you, you imagine, if you imagine the Holy Spirit like this, and you're walking along and, and the Holy Spirit starts going, wouldn't do that. Wouldn't think that. Wouldn't do that. Oh, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. Oh, don't do that. Is that how you think of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit isn't like that. The Holy Spirit isn't a voice just whispering, oh, don't do, th- don't do that. The Holy Spirit is, dwells within us and changes us on the inside. Does something remarkable on the inside. Jesus promised he'd send the Spirit who would dwell inside us. God had promised in the Old Testament a day would come when the Spirit, his Spirit would come and change our hard, stony hearts and he would give us a heart of flesh. God would give us his beating heart for humanity, for this world. And the good news is that God's Spirit has been poured out on the day of Pentecost. God's heart can beat within us. And it's not something that we have to earn. I remember as a kid, uh, uh, I was one of the cubs, and we used to have, you, get, you could get cub badges, and uh, you'd have your little green top, and, um, 
Uh, some of the people would have badges all over. They'd have bad, they'd have badges everywhere. They would have earned their badges. I had three. I had three badges. One was for playing football, which I did all the time. One was for um, a swimming half, a, 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 a width of the swimming pool, which wasn't hard for me. And the third was a literature badge for naming the authors of 20 books. I think I got my badge for nerve because my 20 books were Enid Blyton books. <laughs> 20 of them. And they were all the five books. So five go to Kieran Island. Who was the author of that? And I'd go, ooh, um, Enid Blyton? I think I got my badge for nerve. Somehow we, we, we have it in this head, we, we're earning something, we've got to do something, we've got to perform. I want to tell you that you don't earn God's spirit. You can't, you can't somehow twist God's arm to give you a spirit. God wants us to receive what he's already giving us. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good Jesus was for you. Jesus Christ was good enough. You don't have to be good enough. He's already been good enough. And you need to receive the gift of the Spirit that he promises. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this, Jesus meant the Spirit. That's what it says in John 7. We need to be constantly filled with the Spirit. Paul commands in Ephesians, he commands it, commands it. He's like, he's like a sergeant major in, uh, as he speaks to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5 verse 18. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled and go on being filled with the Spirit is what it means. Is that our experience? Are we full of God's Spirit? Every day are we asking God to fill us afresh with his spirit or are we running dry? Are we running on empty? I had a friend who had a company car and he just presumed he didn't need to do anything. And so he just carried on driving it until one day it blew up. The engine blew up. A company car blew up on the motorway because it had no oil, no water. It had nothing in it. The only thing that was in it was him putting his foot on the accelerator. And nothing else in it. And then it didn't have an engine because they had to take that out. Sometimes we can, we can just keep going with our foot flat to the floor. We can go with our foot flat, flat to the floor and we're running on empty. God wants us to be people who are filled with His Spirit. He's given us His Spirit so that we can be changed on the inside. We can be different people. We can reflect His heart to the world around us to fulfill his plan for our lives and we need to be people who are ready when we were away at West Point Mark Job one of the speakers told the story from 2 Kings chapter 4 talked about Elisha and Elisha comes there's this woman and uh, her husband who's a prophet has died and she's he's left with she's he's left her with debts she's got children and she doesn't know how to pay the debtors. The debtors are going to take the kids away from her. That's what they would have done in the society of the dead. She comes to Elisha and she says, help me. And he says, 
what have you got? And she says, we've got some, we've got a little oil in the house. And he says, well, go and get as many pots as you can, as many jars as you can from all your neighbors, bring them in and close the door and then start to fill them. And then the miracle happens as she starts to pour the oil in the pots and the jars. The oil just keeps flowing, keeps flowing and flowing and flowing until she's run out of pots. There are no more pots and then it stops. And he says to her, you're to go and sell the oil so that you can pay your debts and you've got something to live on. The point is this. The issue wasn't the oil. The issue was the pots. There was the, the pots. There needed to be more pots to be filled. When the pots ran out, the oil stopped flowing. God wants us to be people who are ready to receive his spirit. Who need to be filled with the spirit. God wants us to be people who are ready and prepared. Are you ready? Are you ready for what God wants to do amongst us? Or in the moment, are you going to be struggling looking for a bit of oil? Like the virgins that Jesus tells in his parable who are not ready. Are you ready? Are you full? Are you you drinking deeply of God's Spirit? Are you waking up every day going, God, I so long to be with you. See, God wants us to demonstrate the wonder of his salvation. He wants us to demonstrate his mercy to those around because we've received mercy ourselves. You can demonstrate mercy when you've experienced it. You know what it looks like. You can, you can demonstrate grace to people around you when you've experienced it yourself. When you know how rotten you were and how much God loved you and how much he gave his son for you, you can demonstrate God's grace to those around you because you've received something yourself. You can exhibit the father's, uh, uh, you can be like the father of the prodigal son to prodigals. When someone who's estranged turns towards you, you're the one running to them because you know what it is yourself to have been, had a God who did that for you. You see, if we're filled with the Spirit, it will infect, it will infect, it will infect our relationships. It won't impact it. It will infect our relationships, our marriages, our relationships with our parents and our children. It will infect our attitude to work. God is a worker. Read the book of the early chapters of Genesis. God is a worker. He's a good worker and he wants us to be the same. And it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to catch his heart and to have Jesus' attitude. Are we ready? The Father's intention. We need to be there. We need to be people of his presence who so love his presence. So love his presence. We're there. We're still before him, fixing our eyes on him. We're those who look to Jesus. Jesus is constantly in our gaze. And we're those who are constantly wanting to be filled with the Spirit, open to be filled, knowing that we need to be changed day by day, transformed into His glory. This is what Tozer says. As we begin to focus upon God, the things of the Spirit will take shape before our inner eyes. Obedience to the word of Christ will bring an inward revelation of the Godhead. It will give acute perception, enabling us to see God even as he is promised to the pure in heart. 
a new God consciousness will seize upon us. And we shall begin to taste and hear and inwardly feel the God who is our life and our all. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness where the ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit.